everyone. Good to see you all tonight. How about this weather? They said in uh, Oklahoma, I think it was an 85 degree shift from uh, in two days from minus 16 to 71 degrees above. <laughs> Bring it, huh? Bring it. Oh, I have no idea. Hi, how you doing? I, uh, I handed out lesson number 28 last week. Does everybody have a copy? If not, I'll have to get you a copy because I'm, I've, yeah, I, I gave the last one to Lori here. Does everybody have a copy of the last lesson? I did an extra lesson, so, uh, and actually I'm going to the printer tomorrow as far as the teacher's manual. I've updated the whole thing, which needed a lot of revision. And uh, so I'll hand that out to you the last, the last session with my marching orders for you to use it, you know. But anyway, uh, okay, well, let's pray and then we'll get into our study. We are on lesson number uh, 26 tonight, discipleship, and uh, let's pray and then I'll, I'll get into it here. Lord, again, we thank you for your amazing grace. What, what an awesome God you are and your goodness to us. Uh, we cannot fathom, uh, Lord, for all eternity we will uh, ever be basking in uh, your grace and your goodness, your mercy towards us. And so we just want to say thank you tonight. Thank you for the privilege to know you, uh, to share you, uh, to be involved in the mission of bringing others uh, to the truth, to the knowledge uh, of the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and then to uh, bring them along. Lord, that's really our mission, our assignment. And so, Lord, as we consider this uh, topic of discipleship tonight, I pray that you would bless it and use it in our lives for your glory. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, thought question, right? You're all ready? You're all ready for this, right? Thought question tonight is, why do so few Christians ever attempt to disciple someone? Fear. Fear. Ah, that's a good answer. Fear. And what are we afraid of? Yeah, isn't that the truth? Yeah. How much do you have to know to disciple someone? Yeah, you probably need to know a little more than the person you're discipling. And of course, the goal is to be mature. You know, we don't want immaturity leading immaturity. So the, the goal is to grow to the point where you're mature enough to do that. How, how long should that take you, do you suppose, from the time you're a, a, a new Christian uh, to where, you know, maybe you've got your legs enough here to uh, where you can kind of be bringing somebody else along. How long should that take you, perhaps? 28 weeks. 28 weeks. <laughs> That's a good answer. Uh, you know, in the, in the scriptures, we're looking at Corinth, and, and he's kind of rebuking them for still being carnal. It's about five years in, as far as the Corinthian church. So the, usually we talk about, you know, by five years old, you should probably be about strong enough to where you're able to start kind of really building uh, aggressively into other people. You say, well, I've been a Christian for 25 years. Well, you better get with it. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Uh, so uh, the question, uh, the next question, okay, fear. There's a lot of things we could maybe uh, ask or a- answer with that. Um, you know, one reason is people have never been discipled themselves, right? If nobody's ever gone through it with you, it's kind of like, well, boy, I'm just embarking in something that's totally brand new to me. It's like, where do, how do I do this? It's wonderful if we can kind of go through it with somebody else and then they got a feel for how, how you do this. Uh, number two is sometimes people just don't, they don't see the need to do it. It's like, I'm supposed to do something? I thought we were just vegging waiting for the rapture, which we're expecting momentarily. <laughs> uh, no, we got a mission. We're on an assignment here. And I think, you know, we just, and that's part of the discipleship process as far as uh, teaching people. And then you mentioned fear, feel inadequate, um, maybe lack of tools, like I, I've said. Uh, next question, my last question here is, and this is kind of really going to challenge you a little bit, what is keeping you from discipling someone? Huh? Huh? What's keeping you? Huh? I'm going to kind of press you on that in the next couple of weeks. Two more weeks. You've got two more weeks to think about this. You might not want to come to the last class. Anyway. <laughs> Okay, let's talk about it. Discipleship. Uh, the word disciple simply means follower. To be a disciple of Christ is to be a follower. And in the, the updated version, I put slash learner. Follow learner of Christ. In conversion, one becomes a disciple, which begins a lifelong growth process in, in following Christ. Uh, discipling involves both modeling and teaching the things of Christ in Christ's likeness. Discipleship growth involves 
many variables and involves the ministry of the entire body of Christ building itself up in love. So this is God's design. Uh, he intended for the body to build itself up in love, as it says in Ephesians 4. So um, he wants to use all of us. You know, it's not like uh, I often remind myself, I am not the body. <laughs> I'm just one member of the body, right? And you are too. We all, we all have a part to play here in this, in this drama that God is working out in our lives. Well, let's talk about making uh, disciples, make disciples. What two realities work together in seeking to bring people to Christ as seen in Revelation twenty two seventeen? Well, we kind of answered that question last time at the end of the class. This kind of picks up where we left off. Last time uh, related to uh, what's the last invitation in the Bible. And of course that is come, right? And now the question is what two realities work together in seeking to bring people to Christ as seen there in that verse, Revelation twenty two seventeen. How did we answer that last time? Still the same answer this week. There you go. You got this combination, right? Uh, the spirit and the bride are both saying come. Are, now, are they saying come in the exact same way? Why do we kind of make a differentiation there? Uh, how, is the, how is the spirit saying come? He's doing that internal work, right? Uh, convicting and, and wooing. And, and what is the bride doing? The, the, the church, the bride of Christ, the church. We're giving the external message, right? That's right. So we're working in connection with the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a partnership that we have with God. We, uh, he does the internal work that only he can do. But we are responsible to do the external work, uh, to, to give out the, the message. Okay. Uh, any questions? Any input? All right. Next uh, question here. What characterizes those who are truly Christ sheep as stated by Christ in John ten twenty seven? They hear his voice. And they follow me, Christ says. And what does he do for them? Right, right. But the next verse goes on, I say, and and I give them eternal life, right? These are the ones that have eternal life. I always say, somebody says, well, I believe in Christ, but I'm not following him a a lick. Well, (laughs) maybe you need to read to the end of the verse and read the context there. So, but no, uh, those that are his, uh, hear his voice and they follow him. And so I like to say, you know, believers are followers. Now, we don't follow perfectly. None of us do until we get to glory. But we do follow Christ. And, and we certainly have a desire to follow Christ. I mean, I, you know, Romans 7, even when I, when I mess up, uh, when I don't do the things I should do, I, I hate it. I, I want to follow Christ. I want to be obedient to Christ. Uh, I hear his voice, and, and, and I want to follow him. Okay, uh, Last question there on page 181. In Matthew 28, 19, what is the first evidence of true discipleship? What's that? Yeah, right. Go and make disciples. Starts there. Then what do you do? Just look at them for a while, right? No. <laughs> you, you baptize them. Baptizing them. So, yeah. Uh, that's the first thing that is to happen here. By the way, where do altar calls come in? I mean, New Testament-wise. <laughs> exactly. And where is the Baptist church found? I'm waiting. <laughs> not, not, not to knock Baptist churches. Praise the Lord for Baptist churches. I mean, uh, which uh, we, are, we are Baptistic in, in our whole orientation, our whole background, and, and even our doctrine has not changed. But, uh, yeah, it kind of became, Charles Finney kind of brought this in. And, and Finney, you know, was kind of a guy who said, if you just follow my method, it'll work wherever. He put a tremendous amount of stock in his method, not so much in the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit working, but um, altar calls. You know, what do we have in the New Testament? Not an altar call, but what do we have? Yeah. What, what, is it, what, is it, what happens when these people are uh, making a profession of faith? How did they do it? Raise your hand? No. Get baptized. They identified with Christ outwardly, publicly by baptism. 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the church. They got baptized and say, well, you all come forward here. We'll, we'll counsel you for six months and then you'll may, we'll maybe baptize you. Uh, no, right then. They didn't have an altar call. Uh, as such, if you want an altar call, it's baptism in the New Testament. That's what it is. They're responding in that way. Um, and by the way, uh, New Testament uh, closely links belief and baptism. And because of this, 
you know, the baptismal regenerationists have kind of zeroed in on that and say, see, baptism is involved in saving you. The problem is the Bible makes a distinction between the gospel that you believe and the act of baptism, which is something that is done, uh, you know, which is a work. And we don't believe in works. We believe it's by grace, through faith. It's by believing. And uh, Paul makes a clear distinction between uh, the gospel and baptism. He says, Christ sent me not to baptize. That's one thing. But to preach the gospel, that's something else. So you don't want to confuse the two. And yet they are closely linked. And but what I mean by that is you really do not find, and sometimes people try to correct me on this. It's always, I'm always open to correction, by the way. At least I hope so. At least I am in theory. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, there's no such thing as an unbaptized believer in the New Testament. By that I mean the New Testament church. And they say, well, what about the thief on the cross? Yeah, that was pre New Testament church. But I like the, the example of the thief on the cross because it shows you're not saved by anything, uh, including baptism, uh, which we would have been under uh, John the Baptist baptism, um, you know, or something, you know, pre-cross. But, uh, but yeah, uh, everywhere we look in the New Testament, people got, they got saved and they got baptized. It was just a given. Hey, you're going to identify with Christ. And, and so kind of early church would say, really put a cloud over somebody and say, you know, you refuse to be baptized. We're, we're, not, we're not thinking you've got a saving faith. Uh, you're not even willing to follow Christ to, to identify with him openly. You're not willing to go to the first base as far as a public testimony. Uh, what kind of faith is that? Uh, but again, there's a distinction between faith and baptism and yet there's a connection. If you are a believer, the expectation is you, you want to get baptized. So uh, we want to rightly divide the word there. Okay, uh, can you imagine this, by the way? Uh, okay, you, you live your whole life. You, you made a profession way back here somewhere, altar call. <laughs> and, uh, but you, you never got baptized. What do you think Christ's going to say when you show up in glory? Well done, you good and faithful servant. You didn't even go to the first base to identify with me. I mean, uh, where's discipleship in it? I think it's kind of a test of discipleship. Are you willing to follow Christ in obediently identifying with him? If you're not willing to follow that far, maybe you need to examine yourself. What kind of followership do we have here? What kind of faith do we have here? Um, is Jesus really Lord? Am I really, am I really a follower of his in any way, shape, or form? I, I haven't even done the most elementary thing. Anyway, okay, that's enough of the sermon on that, I guess. But, uh, and you know, if you know my history, I have taken a strong stand against baptismal regeneration through the years. I think it's one of the great false assurances people, I mean, Roman Catholics, I'm a baptized Roman Catholic. Oh, I get there eventually. You know, I'm baptized in Church of Christ, baptized into Christ. That's how you get in, part of that ritual. Well, boy, your faith better not be in the water. better be in the blood 100%. It's not your baptism that saves you. It's not the water that cleanses you from all sin. It's the blood of Jesus. He did it all. Just ask the thief on the cross. Anyway, okay. I already said I was done with that sermon, but I guess it wasn't quite. (laughs) Let's go to page 182. Uh, There is no record in the New Testament church age of unbaptized disciples, as I say, to be a true follower of Christ displayed itself in identifying with Christ in baptism. Baptism doesn't save, but it is expected that true disciples will be baptized. And by the way, if I'm going through this with somebody that's new or that I'm working with them, you know, in endeavoring to uh, make a disciple, uh, we get to this point, we'd maybe kind of really take some time here as far as, you know, where are you at? What's your thinking here? Do you understand? Um, so anyway, you just kind of work with uh, whoever you're working with as far as where they're at and what's happening there. Okay, next question. When the Gentiles in conversion received the Holy Spirit, what did Peter command them in Acts 10.48? To be baptized. Right. You know, and, and it says he commanded them. He didn't say, you know, I don't want to be offensive, so I'm going to make a suggestion. It's just a suggestion, though. It's, it's not, I'm not getting too firm here. I, I don't want to offend anybody. And some of you might not be ready for this. No way. <laughs> Uh, he said, this is a command. He commanded them to be baptized. I mean, it wasn't like he gave them an option. Uh, you know, it's, uh, sometimes maybe we need to be a little bit more, um, we need to be gracious always, for sure, not forceful. But uh, yes, Carissa? Question about people who have been baptized before, let's say like another church that is not a 
Yeah, you're into a tricky area a little bit. I mean, every situation probably kind of has to be. But the issue, I think, biblically is, have I been baptized as a believer? You know, uh, have I identified with Christ openly as far as my faith in Christ? Like, uh, we would not accept a Mormon baptism because it's, they're not identifying with the biblical Jesus. So if it's a flat-out cult, no. I would say you kind of get identified with a context that is not clear. Uh, have a clear outward testimony, a clear identification with sound doctrine, you know. So, um, so it kind of depends, uh, you know, there are certain groups where, um, you know, you just kind of have to work it through. Sometimes, uh, you know, uh, yeah, if it was a Church of Christ type of situation, I'd say, well, why were you baptized? You were baptized, but what was your trust really in? What were you, I, what were you saying in your baptism? On and on. So, yeah, that's a good question, though. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. What about people who just have their babies baptized? Then when those people grow up in their knowledge of the Lord, should they be baptized again? Well, let's back up for a moment. Uh, those babies, when they get baptized, what does that do for them? It gets them wet. It gets them wet. <laughs> it makes them ball. Yeah. Lots of times. Uh, it's, it's, uh, we, we believe the scriptures teach believers baptism. So the baby is not a believer. It's like wearing a wedding ring before I'm, I'm married. You know, it's saying something that's not true. So uh, I would say that's a, a non-baptism. It's a, it's a tradition. It's a ritual. But it's not biblical baptism. So they've never really been baptized. I mean, it's not a biblical baptism. It's just like if an unbeliever gets baptized. Okay, I mean, you got wet. But that was not a biblical baptism. Oh, well, I think he sees them as an ignorant person who needs to come to the knowledge of the truth so they might be saved. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they need, they need the Lord. You know, it's neither here nor there. It's an empty ritual. It counts for nothing. And so we, they, need, they need to start with salvation. They need to put their trust in Jesus Christ. The, the baptism is nothing outside of, of Christ. So, yeah. 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 So we baptized our first one. Matthew, he got baptized. As a oh, yeah. But then when he got saved and he knew what he was supposed to do and everything, he got rebaptized. Sure. So he got baptized, you know, when he was a baby, he had no clue what he was doing. So we didn't, obviously, we didn't either, but. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, one more point to that. Usually, yeah. uh, infant baptism is a sprinkling rather than immersion. Right. 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 So, right. Uh, instead so of baptizo. Well, the Greek word is rantizo, which means to, to sprinkle. <clears throat> yeah, instead of uh, baptizo, which means to dip under, yeah. So just not a Right. You know, we talk about the Baptists. We were laughing about them earlier, but, uh, you, you know, we come out of a, a, the, the group called the Anabaptist. Anna means again, right? They rejected infant baptism. So that doesn't, that's nothing. Uh, you need to be baptized as a believer. Anabaptist. Baptized again. So, and, and really, technically, I would say, you need to be baptized to begin with. That was no baptism, not biblically. <laughs> so, all right, that's good feedback. Good, uh, good interaction. Okay. All right, uh, middle of the page here. In Acts eleven twenty six, what were the disciples called? Christians, that's right. Uh, and what is the context of being called a Christian? Was it a... a, a Flattery term? A term of flattery? No, it wasn't. It was really kind of a a, a derision. To be called a Christian was to be a a put-down. It was was not... uh, It was really kind of a a context of reproach uh, or persecution there. And it's kind of like, you know, Christians were... um, it kind of means the idea of being a follower of Christ. Like, uh, for example, people were called Herodians... Who were the Herodians? They were followers of Herod. Uh, they supported Herod. Herod. They, they, were, they were of that political cause here. Uh, Herod. They, they were his followers. So to be a Christian was to be with Christ. I'm all in with Christ. I'm, I'm a Christ follower is really the idea. Okay. Uh, how, many, how were many disciples made in Acts 14.21? How, how no, how were many disciples made? Not, not how many were made. I read that question. 
I, you know, I thought about it myself when I read it, but yeah, careful. Uh, how were many disciples made in Acts 14, 21? Did anybody read it right? Ah, the preaching of the gospel. That's how you make disciples. So again, emphasis, you make a disciple by preaching the gospel when they believe the gospel. You don't make them by baptizing them. You go and make disciples, and having made disciples, you baptize a disciple. He's already a disciple before you ever baptize him. And this is one of those verses that brings that out. Uh, Many disciples were made through the preaching of the gospel. Okay, Uh, any other thoughts? Okay, we're going to press on then. Not everyone who professes to be a disciple is a true disciple. How did Christ distinguish true disciples from false disciples in Matthew 7, 21? Yeah, are, and who are those? The true or the false? They're the true, right. And uh, what, are the, what are the false uh, uh, disciples? They will depart, right? He'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me. And, but what, uh, you know, this has been called, by the way, the, uh, the scariest verses. MacArthur calls these the scariest verses in the Bible. Matthew seven twenty one through uh, 23. Uh, these, uh, these false disciples, what, what, are, what are they going to say? Lord, Lord. And, and what, what else do they say? What, what were they doing? We yeah. Uh, we prophesied in your name, right? We cast out demons in your name. That's pretty impressive. Look at the demons we're casting out here. And uh, we did many wonders in your name. You know what wonders is, uh, the word for wonders is? Miracles. Well, let me ask you, what, what category would we kind of put this in theologically? Prophesied, cast out demons, doing miracles. Kind of reminds you of the charismatic movement, doesn't it? Now, I'm not putting everybody in that category, but I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of double lives going on there as far as some of the leadership there, even as far as immorality and everything else. And yet they're doing all these wonderful, mighty miracles, supposedly healing everybody and so forth. A lot of, lot of uh, things there. But anyway, it's interesting. He brings out those, uh, those three things uh, related to the kind of these showy Christians. Yeah, uh, professing. Would you take that to mean, talking about those verses, um, that people think that they're tricking God or they've tricked themselves? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, sure, uh, I sure think they're self-deceived. So yeah, you know? I think so. You know, you go back to Second uh, Timothy 3 and how uh, evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So it's kind of like they, they are themselves, they are deceiving people, but they themselves are deceived. It is an interesting thing, a phenomenon about humanity, that we have the ability to deceive ourselves. Um, and so, yeah, I think these people are deceived in, in, a, in a big way. Do they think they're fooling God? I wonder if they think that deeply. Um, well, if they're, if they're deceived, they don't have to. They, yeah, they would never think about that. You wouldn't think about that. If you believe what you're doing, why would you ever think you're deceiving God? Right. And it would seem like these people probably are sincerely saying, Lord, Lord! You know? I mean, they're thinking, hey, we're with you. Look at all we've done. We, we were, we're there. We're the real thing. The whole thing just feels so prideful to me. Like there's a wonder of, like this huge amount of pride behind oh, that. Oh, amen, brother. I think ego and false teachers go together. Pride is blinding. Yeah, and pride is a blinding thing. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So they're deceived because they're probably not at the word much. <laughs> yeah, and I think there, a lot of these people are into experiential Christianity. Yeah, Bill? Oh, I was just going to say in verse 24, he says, you know, we need an earth iniquity. You know, they're saying we're doing all these great things. They're, they're workers of, of iniquity. So maybe they, person is different from a person. Well, I think so. I think there's, there's a lot of, of gamesmanship here. And uh, you get to the point where you actually think you're, you're fooling God. That's how deceived you are. And I think, yeah, well, that's right. Yeah, we're back to that. That's right. Amen. Okay, very good. Uh, let's go on here. Last uh, question here, bottom of the page, page 182. 
In John 8, 31 and 32, who did Christ say are disciples indeed? In other words, truly. Those who continue in his word. You know, this is one of the marks of genuineness, is that you continue. Uh, lots of people start for the kingdom, supposedly. How many end up there? Well, the genuine continue. Uh, not that we don't ever backslide or, you know, have struggles. We do. But uh, the genuine do uh, continue. Uh, I like to say disciples indeed are disciples indeed. In this, in this uh, little play on words there. But uh, disciples indeed are disciples I-N and then separate word D-E-E-D. Okay, uh, next page. Page uh, 183. What does Ephesians 4, 20, 21 assume about true believers? What does it assume? Huh? Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. Uh, my translation has a particular word that you didn't mention. That, well, that's good. Uh, they have learned the truth, is what my translation says. They have learned the truth as, as found in Jesus. In other words, they have personally appropriated the truth of Christ. They, they, they have learned it. They, they really know it, as I like to say, by heart. It's, it's not just a head thing. They, they, they have learned Christ. They have really come to know the truth of Christ. Instead of learned, what does your translation say? If nobody else has, is, has learned? Yeah. Okay, yeah, so yeah, you're right. Learned is kind of, uh, it's in there, but it's in the, yeah, in the flow. Okay, very good. Uh, teach all things. Having made a baptized disciple, what did Christ then instruct in Matthew 28, 20? Okay. Yeah, to, to continue to teach them, right? I mean, this is just the beginning here. Uh, teaching them how many things? All things that Christ commanded. Um, what did Christ command, by the way? Well, that's true. But when, when we think about the word of Christ, like he says in Colossians 3, let, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Uh, what word are we thinking about there? What's that? Well, for sure. Uh, but, but I'm thinking the whole of the New Testament here and, and the whole of the scriptures. I mean, because after all, Jesus Christ is God and all scriptures given by, and by inspiration of God. So it would all apply. But uh, I think specifically about the New Testament revelation, which was given uh, through Christ and then by extension uh, through his apostles. Um, so teaching them all that Christ commanded, I, I would say the whole of New, new Covenant truth, as we find in the, in the New Testament scriptures. But, uh, and, and how long does this usually take? <laughs> 28 weeks. <laughs> yes? Um, sorry, I, I was thinking about this. Who, who was the audience for Matthew? Is it the Jews? It was the Jews. So as, far as, as far as who he's writing to. So it would make sense that he's saying to follow the, what Jesus has commanded specifically because they're already following the Old Testament. So that, that kind of goes back to what you were saying. Right. Specifically when he says what is the, uh, the word. Or right. Whatever the word. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. Um, and uh, as far as uh, the process here, as far as uh, making disciples, you know, that, that's going to involve a process. It's, it's not going to happen just overnight. It's not going to happen in three weeks. Uh, this is going to be an ongoing process, as we're going to see in the rest of our uh, study tonight. So uh, you first make the disciples, then they get baptized, and we see that link on the front end consistently in the New Testament. But then there's a continuing process, a continuing teaching them all things that, that Christ commanded. Yeah. A word that popped out to me from that verse um, 20 is teaching them to observe all things. That's the key word, honestly. And we are going to get to it. But uh, yeah, um, teaching them to ob observe is, is like not only just 
head knowledge, but to, to follow it, uh, to practice it, to observe it. So yeah, that's, a, that's great. Good job. All right. Anything else? Okay, let's continue here. Uh, what was the process of discipleship that Timothy experienced as seen in 2 Timothy 3.14? Ah, continue in what you learned. Indicating what? That's true. And indicating there had been a process of, of him learning, right? Of somebody was teaching him. And uh, <clears throat> by the way, uh, knowing from whom you have learned, uh, whom is plural in the older manuscripts. And uh, so it's uh, indicating, Paul wasn't the only person that's building into Timothy's life. Who, else, who also built into Timothy's life? Yeah, such as? His, his, his mother, who had a name that I will always remember, Eunice, which happened to be my mother's name, and his grandmother, Lois. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of knowing from whom you have learned them. You had godly, you have a godly heritage, Timothy. And, of course, then I think Paul enters in there and, and others as well. But he's encouraging uh, Timothy to continue on. Uh, he had learned from reliable sources uh, that, that he knew their character very well. Okay, in uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.15, on what does Paul instruct the brethren to stand firm? The traditions. Now, when we think about traditions, that's a bad word, isn't it? Uh, what, what kind of traditions do we uh, kind of uh, look down on? Oh, what's that? Yeah. And what kind of traditions would we say those are? Well, yeah, that would be an example. Traditions of men, right? The word tradition literally means things handed down. That's the idea. And you know what the difference is? Who's it being handed down from? So if it's being handed down from God, that's a good tradition. But if it's being handed down from man, that's a bad thing. Uh, Paul is talking about uh, apostolic traditions that have been handed down from God through the apostles to his people. So that's the idea here. Uh, he talks about by word or our epistle uh, from, uh, from the apostles, inspired uh, things handed down from God uh, through the channels of, of the apostles. Okay, uh, in Acts uh, 2.42, what did the baptized believers do in the early church? What did they do? Yeah, four things. Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Yep. Fellowship. Yep. Breaking bread and prayer. Right, there you go. So they continued steadfastly in, in these four things. That's right. Um, I wonder who made the decision. You know, maybe we ought to follow the apostles. You know, maybe this isn't a free-for-all here. You know, uh, we're going to follow everybody's doctrine. I mean, we're all one here. I mean, why would we think the apostles have a special place here? Well, they did. And uh, we know that Christ uh, appointed them as his apostles, his authoritative spokesmen. And the early church recognized that. It wasn't like, boy, we're following anybody and everybody. And, you know, I, I've got this idea and I've got this. I, no, no, it was the apostles' doctrine. It was the apostles' teaching uh, that they were steadfastly adhering to day in and day out. Uh, fellowship, the word fellowship means, a koinon, uh, it's the Greek word koinonia, which means to uh, uh, what you share in common, uh, the things of God. Uh, breaking of bread probably refers to communion here. But you have to realize in the early church, communion was not like we do communion, really. What, 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 did, what did we call communion in the early church? What did they call it? A love feast, right? So it was a feast. And, uh, of course, sometimes it got abused, right, at Corinth? Some were eating all the food before the poor people get there. I mean, what kind of sharing is that? What kind of love is that? Sorry, brother, ate all the bacon before you got here. Uh, it was a Gentile church. <laughs> It's Corinth. <laughs> this is not James. This is not James. This is Corinth. <laughs> I'm sorry. And prayers. You know, we need prayer. Uh, depending on God. Uh, they were constantly in prayer. All right. Any other thoughts here? He keeps you on toes. Yeah, he does keep me on my toes. He's a good man. All right. Uh, page 184. What does Titus 1.9 assume spiritual leaders have been taught? Right. 
Amen. They have to be able to do that. That's true. And boy, we need that today, don't we? We need strong men who are going to be able to refute these people who are trying to lead God's people astray in all kinds of different ways. But uh, they have been taught, what, what kind of word, what's the descriptive word that's used of the word? The faithful word. As they've been taught the faith. I like that. Don't you like that? I mean, this is the faithful word. It will guide you faithfully. It will keep you on track. It's the faithful word. But uh, notice uh, they're not merely self-taught. They've been taught. Somebody took the time to disciple them, uh, to work with them. And uh, part of that here is, uh, I always emphasize this, uh, if you're going to teach someone, you've got to be willing to teach, but what's that require on their part? And what kind of a spirit might we call that? A teachable spirit, right? I remember in my early days as a Christian, we'd go to Bible study and Chris Pestle would be leading and he'd say, well, the most important thing we're bringing to the meeting tonight is a teachable heart. (laughs) Boy, I'm sitting there, I hope I've got a teachable heart here tonight. Uh, Yeah, we need a teachable spirit. Uh, You know, people that just kind of arrive at the table as know-it-alls are in trouble. We first got to be taught. You got to be humble and, and teachable. Okay, some aspects of discipleship are not only taught formally, but caught by watching someone else model them. In Mark 3.14, Christ not only appointed the twelve to preach, but also to do what? To be with him. That was interesting, isn't it? Now, you can say, well, you know what, guys? I know you, you hardly know me, but I'm sending you out. Uh, no. Uh, first, to be with him. They first needed to be Uh, taught and then preach. Uh, They first needed to spend time with Christ uh, privately before they got into a public ministry. Uh, What else did uh, Timothy follow in addition to Paul's doctrine as seen in 2 Timothy 3.10? He followed his doctrine. He was taught that. And that's very important. But what else? Yeah. His manner of life. His manner of life. And then it mentions a whole bunch of things. Purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance. The idea really, I think, is kind of a whole life thing, though. Uh, Lifestyle discipleship. Uh, He had learned to follow Paul in in that regard. How how is Paul handling life day in and day out? Just watching how he handles this. Uh, This can be kind of convicting sometimes. But notice he says, you have carefully followed. And he mentions nine things. And just say, well, hey, there's just, you know, it was one little smidget of thing. I was doing something right over here. No, it was like quality of life. Nine things, nine descriptive terms that he uses there. He modeled it for, for Timothy, and Timothy saw that. You have carefully followed. Okay, what is the emphasis in Second Thessalonians 3, uh, 7 and 9? Yeah, and how does Paul say that they should follow? Yeah, that they have modeled, the example that they have have set. And uh, Paul kind of spoke not only for himself there, but for his whole missionary team, uh, our example, uh, and so forth. Uh, By the way, I think this is important that people see, uh, you know, Christianity is not just a decisional thing, right? Right? Uh, there's a, there, if you really make a, a commitment to follow Christ, it's a whole life thing. Uh, and that's what was modeled for, for uh, Timothy. That's what was modeled for the Thessalonians. Uh, the, the whole team modeled this Christian living. And so I think people need to see, boy, if you're really going to be a, a true believer who follows Christ, this is a whole life thing. It's not like, well, I made a little decision over here. It doesn't, in fact, it doesn't affect my life at all. No, it does. It it colors your whole life if if you're a true Christian. Uh, At least it it should. And that's what discipleship should uh, illustrate. Okay, any other thoughts there? Okay, page 185. In Hebrews 6.12, what does the writer want the readers to do? I I, I missed one? That's the first time I've ever done that. Yeah. (laughs) Thou shalt not lie. Church discipline time now. We have to go back to that lesson. Anyway, you're right. I'm sorry. Yes, you're right. A little sarcasm on my part, but you're right. Uh, as his converts, what did Paul exhort the believers to do in 1 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17? 
Imitate his ways. Boy, how you feel? Does that make you feel a little uncomfortable saying to somebody, you know, follow me. Imitate me. You know, you see how I do it? Do what I'm doing. Are you there? Can, can you do that? Uh, boy, it might depend on the day for me, right? <laughs> Aren't we better known for saying, do as I say, not as I do? <laughs> Which we're not supposed to do. Hopefully we could say, do as I say and do as I do, right? I mean, we want to be able to, that's the point here. Yeah, kind of be imitators of me. You know, but sometimes we mess up. Last night, we, we were over to Cedar Rapids. We had somebody coming, you know, I was driving back last night. And you know who's out there on the roads. You know these people. <laughs> and this person was, <clears throat> I had a little problem. I had to confess it. <laughs> Janie says, normally you're a good driver. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's right. <laughs> I, I don't even want to go there. <laughs> yes. Follower, get out of the way. <laughs> there you go. That was my, that was where I was at. That was for sure. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, I, I probably wasn't thinking about this verse right at that moment. Imitate me and drive as I drive. Uh, no, not so much. Uh, we're all human here. Some days I woke up in the morning, and you know what I think? Uh, it's because of the Lord's mercy that so we are not consumed because his compassions fail not there new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Hey, it's a brand new day. Uh, brand new mercy. It's time to start over. That's how I felt this morning. <laughs> anyway, Okay. Um, yeah, he talks about imi- to imitate his ways, and, and then you know he talks about how f- uh, faithful uh, Timothy uh, was, and, and uh, to to be mindful of, of the ways that they taught in, in Christ. And he says, as I teach everywhere in every church. So Paul Paul basically said, I got a life that's worth following. Imitate me, and boy, that should be what we strive to do as as a way of life. And uh, it's, a, it's a good reminder to all of us. Paul said this many times, by the way. He said in Galatians, Philippians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Corinthians. I mean, he said that repeatedly. Okay, uh, next page. Now, right? Next page? Yeah. Right, right, right. Uh, in Hebrews 6.12, what does the writer want the readers to do? Who? Imitate who? Well, yeah, in a sense. Those who through faith and patience inherit the promises, Right? In other words, those who are proven examples, and who might this have been in the context of Hebrews uh, chapter 6 there? Well, I think he's talking about faithful leadership that they've known. That's who he's talking about. And uh, faith and patience is really, I think, descriptive of true faith. Uh, Those that have have a proven uh, faith. Uh, Note, a major part of discipleship takes place in conjunction with body life and in conjunction with uh, the leading teaching ministry of the elders. This is reflected in the... uh, a shift of emphasis on disciples in the book of Acts to an emphasis on body life in the epistles. There is a, there is a distinction there a little bit as far as emphasis anyway. Uh, you go to the epistles, we don't have so much emphasis on discipleship. But what do we have an emphasis on? Body life. One another, right? One another, building each other up. And so it's kind of like uh, uh, there is a little bit of a shift in terms of emphasis there. Uh, all God's people are to be involved in helping fellow believers grow, but what is the emphasis in Hebrews 13.7? Kind of picks up where we left off in Hebrews chapter 6. Yeah, uh, follow the faith of, of who? Yeah, and what have, the, what have those leaders done? Yeah, uh, and they, he says, have taught you the word. They, they have taught you the word. And they rule over you. So uh, these are the the shepherds, the elders. And uh, he's encouraging them to follow the faith of those uh, who have taught them the word. By the way, uh, eating is very important. Would you not agree? Yeah. And that's true physically, but even so, how about spiritually? I mean, it's important that we eat healthy. Got to have a healthy diet. Uh, teaching takes place on various levels, but who has the key formal leadership teaching role in the church as seen in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12? There are gifted people that God has put in position called 
Pastor teachers. Right, exactly. And it's interesting. Uh, you know, there's a distinction, as I see it in my study, between these are specifically said to be gifts that God has given to the church, gifted people that God has given to the church. That's distinct from the office of elder. Um, the pastor teacher is an elder. Uh, pastor teachers are elders. But I think one can be an elder without being a gifted pastor teacher in the sense of Ephesians 4, 12, and 13 there. So, or 4, 11, and 12. Uh, okay, who are those in First uh, Timothy five seventeen that have a specialized role in laboring in the in the word? And he specifically talks about elders who rule well. What's that? Yeah, uh, elders who rule well, uh, uh, and uh, especially those who labor in what? Yeah, yeah, that's right. In the word and in doctrine, in preaching and, and teaching. Uh, that's right. Exactly. Um, okay, next page, page uh, 186. In John 21, uh, 15 through 21, Jesus instructed Peter to feed my sheep. As a fellow elder, Peter exhorted elders to shepherd God's flock and to lead by what in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4? Lead by example, right. Willingly, that's right. You, don't, you shouldn't have to be coerced and kind of pressed into it and forced into it. Um, Lead by example, and what's the contrast to that? Not lording it over. Lording it over. Uh, what's the idea of a, uh, of a person who's lording it over people? What, what do we sometimes describe those people as? Dictators. Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully we don't go that extreme, but uh, yeah, kind of like little dictators, you know, and there's only one Lord. Uh, even though we have a... a Shepherding role, uh, an oversight role, um, we don't have a lordship role. No lordship role whatsoever. And uh, even, even the ruling over is a very small R. It's, it's not like I'm the Holy Spirit. I, I, I'm not called to be the Holy Spirit in your life. I've known people that felt like I should be the Holy Spirit in their life. And I'm thinking about a, a couple of people that came out of a context where this guy ran their lives. I mean, everything, every little detail. I mean, he's like in charge of their life. Come over to Southview, it was like, okay, I'm supposed to take over there. It's like, what? I don't know what to do. <laughs> you need to learn to rely on the Holy Spirit. You need to learn to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Yeah, I'm going to give you counsel here as far as the word of God and instruction, but there's a lot of freedom under that, under those parameters here. Uh, so not lord it over. We don't lord it. We lead by example. Again, we should be able, as elders, we should be say, follow me. Uh, you know, as I walk. Not as I drive, but as I walk. Right? <laughs> anyway. Okay. No, as I drive, too. I need to work on that. All right. Uh, disciples make disciples. What is the paradigm uh, emphasized in 2 Timothy 2.2? 2, 2? Yeah, and it's kind of interesting here. Build into faithful people, you know, faithful men who should be able to teach others also. I think there is an emphasis here in relationship to uh, training elders, training leaders who will be key teachers among God's people. But there's a principle here. Uh, that is, all of us are building into people who hopefully can take that then and, and build into other people. And uh, what kind of people should we kind of, you know, you. We want to disciple everybody, right? Go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them. That follow through for everybody. Everybody needs some discipleship. But, you know, you kind of have to prioritize too. As you go along, you're, you've only got so much time to invest. And so I remember one time doing a Bible study with some people that just were not serious. They were just, I felt they were playing with me. Well, I, I did not continue on because I just felt they weren't serious about it. And we're just wasting a lot of time here. And uh, building a faithful men who, who shall teach others also. Um, you know, by the way, um, you should know there will be disappointments, right? There will be disappointments where you build into people and they just bomb, they just bottom out as they go along. And, and to the point, sometimes you wonder, where are those people even at? 
after you, I remember MacArthur talking about get up every morning, 5.30 morning, meet with somebody, whatever, for years, and then the guy just completely abandons everything, the whole faith and everything. That does happen. It does happen. And uh, if it happens to you, you know, just realize it's part of the battle here. Uh, okay, what is uh, the failure described in, in Hebrews 5.12? Pastor? Yeah, I'm sorry. Go back to that other one. Yep, yep, yep. No, not as far as your reward before God. Not your reward before God, the, the value that you got in your own study. Sure. What may be lingering in them. I mean, there's a lot. Right. I mean, even if that does happen, it's not like, it's, not it's easy to think that, oh man, that was all a waste of time. Right. But in reality, like you said, especially right. in the eyes of the Lord in heaven, right. the work was still there for him. So. Yeah, and, and that's absolutely true. Uh, God is not unrighteous to forget your, your labor of love, which you have shown, you know, towards the saints and so forth, as he said. So absolutely. I guess I'm thinking here, though, there does, you do kind of discern a little bit as you go along. Am I building into somebody that is going to, in turn, be able to share that, uh, build into faithful people who shall be able to teach others also? We, we, the idea is to kind of keep this going and, and to build it in the greatest possible way. So if you find yourself in a situation where, and you probably want to be gracious, you know, you don't want to just just cut people off at the, the legs and say, hey, you know, I, I've given you a probation period, you're done. But uh, yeah, uh, so there's kind of a balance there. All right, what is uh, the failure described in, in uh, Hebrews uh, 5.12? Yeah, the, the failure to mature, uh, where he says, by this time you should be teachers, right? And this is a general statement, by the way. Uh, he's not just talking about elders here. Uh, yes, there are gifted formal teachers in relationship to the whole church. We see that emphasis. But there's also a general sense uh, where uh, the goal should be that we come to maturity, and then we can build into other people on one level or another. Uh, who built into Timothy? Uh, his mother, his grandmother, I mean, uh, wasn't just the elders of the church. So, yeah. Um, our motto should be, each one reach one, each one teach one. Right? Yeah, we want to be reaching somebody. Okay, uh, the ultimate goal in discipleship. In Luke 6.40, what did Christ indicate is the goal in discipleship? Be like the teacher, right, right. So, so really, as teachers, again, we should say, hey, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Uh, the goal is to be like the teacher. Uh, what was Paul's desire in Colossians uh, 1, 28 and 29? Present every man complete in Christ. Right, he's teaching and preaching so as to present every, every, every person mature in Christ. That's right. You know, and, and so that was Paul's passion here. He talks about, you know, the memory verse from this week, um, the, how he was striving according to the, the power of God working in him to that end. I think maybe on Judgment Day, the, 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 it were really, the goal is how many people did I bring to maturity? You know, it's good that we bring them to Christ, but then how many do we continue on bringing to maturity? Uh, that was uh, Paul's passion there. Um, who was it? Uh, that guy back here, can't remember his name right now, but uh, he talked about we we're born to reproduce. And he would challenge people, where is your man? Where is your woman? Where is your child? Where is your Who are you building into? Um, yeah, I can't remember the guy's name here offhand. He was a famous guy back here, started the Navigator's... Um, Huh? Ah, oh, yeah, that's it. Trotman. That was it. Anyway, yeah. Okay, uh, let's go on to the next page here. We got uh, five minutes here. In Ephesians uh, 4, 12 through 16, what is the objective in equipping the saints? What's that? The building up of the body of Right. But I'm, I'm building into the saints to do what? So that they might do the work of the ministry. Right? So I'm really hoping that you'll get involved in the work here. Right? This isn't just my work. I'm, I'm, I'm equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. And uh, it says there that, that, that 
that every member may grow up to the measure of Christ till we all come to the unity of, of faith. So that's the goal. Uh, really, the goal is no child left behind. We do really want to seek to bring everybody along uh, in a sanctified way. <laughs> Everyone has a part to play. That's the emphasis in Ephesians 4. Um, by what every joint supplies, every part does its share, he says, uh, in, in the growth and in, in the maturity process here. Okay, how does discipleship relate to Christ's purpose for the church as seen in Ephesians 5, 25 through 27? This is kind of an interesting uh, text here. What's that, Anita? Right. You hit the key word there. Holy. Uh, the goal is to build holiness into the life. And that's what Christ is doing in relationship to the body of Christ right now. And what is the cleansing agent that he uses that is metaphorically re- related to water here? The washing of the word. Right. And so that's right. It happens positionally in relationship to when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it happens practically, uh, as far as practical sanctification, as we go along. So uh, it's interesting. In that context there, in Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, uh, Christ gave himself that he might sanctify the church, make the church holy. And he says, husbands likewise are to love their wives. What's the goal of the husband's leadership in relationship to the wife? Yeah, to build holiness into her life, to disciple her in the, in the context of, of, of bringing her to a, a deeper level of holiness. Uh, after all, he is uh, the head uh, as Christ is the head. Uh, not that he's in the same sense, but uh, you know, he has that headship uh, role in, in the home. Okay. Now, how does uh, the ultimate purpose of discipleship intersect with Christ's prayer in John 17? Christ is praying for the people that his disciples would reach. Okay. And uh, what is the prayer uh, of Christ there? Yeah. He's praying that we would be unified. That we would have that, that unity. Um, did, did is that prayer answered? Christ's prayer for uh, that we be uh, have unity. Well, positionally it is right. Uh, what does Paul say? Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. I mean, it's it's established in Christ. There's a spiritual unity that we have in Jesus Christ. But now that's to be on display before the world, and that's what he says uh, that the world may believe. Uh, as, as the world sees our, the bond that we have, the unity that we have in Christ, that is to be a testimony before a watching world. Okay, um, any other input before we get to the uh, memory verse? Which I'm pretty sure you've all nailed down. Mickey's not at the audiovisual booth, so I'm sure none of you... Uh, <laughs> It's not up there tonight. John's not in on it tonight. Mickey put it up there one week. And everybody recited it perfectly that week. Same translation, too. Yeah, same translation. That's right. It was amazing. It was a miracle. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, good. Colossians 1, 28 29. Labor? Strenuously extend uh, all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Wow, that's good. Good job. Yeah, what translation is that? I think it's NIV. Okay, yeah. Yep. Okay, very good. Well, excellent. Okay, well, we have two more weeks. Uh, how to lead a basic Bible study next week. And, of course, then the last one I've given you uh, on stewardship. And so uh, two more weeks. And, uh, boy, this has been good. Most of you have been very consistent throughout the course of the study here, so it's been great. 
Let's uh, have a closing word of prayer, and then we'll be dismissed here. Lord, again, we thank you for uh, how you work in our lives. Uh, we want to just thank you for the knowledge of the truth. Each one of us has, has come to the knowledge of the truth. And, and Lord, uh, you have used people uh, to bring us the knowledge of the truth. One way or another, uh, there's a, been a, an army of truth soldiers, as it were, uh, to bring us the word. One form or another, one shape or another. And so, uh, Lord, now we continue on with that mission uh, to make disciples. And then, Lord, to train them. Uh, they need training. Uh, they need to learn. And, Lord, that's really uh, our responsibility to get to the point uh, in our maturity where, where we know uh, the basics of the faith where we can now turn around and, and build into other people. So, Lord, help us to be good stewards of uh, the truth. Uh, we as the, the church are the pillar and the ground of the truth. You've deposited to us as a, as a people. And so, Lord, help us to be good stewards and to be building into people as you give us opportunity in accordance with our, our maturity. Lord, again, thank you for this time together. May it bear fruit for your glory. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, have a good rest of the week, everybody.